Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome back to Sofa Cinema Club. I'm Colson Smith and as always I'm joined by... Jack P. Shepard. Ben Llewellyn. I've just thought when I do that, if someone's listened to the first time, they don't know what I do every week. <laughs> no, so they just think, I thought it was Ben Price. Well, every week I take a name, a stage name from the film and I call myself that. <laughs> I just realised that someone's going, it's the wrong podcast, turn it off. I don't like this one. The Sophie Cinema Club is our podcast where we get together and educate each other on films. Now it's all about the films we should have seen, but we haven't. Each week we set a film for each other to watch and then we come into the studio and we talk about what we loved, hated and rated. Now the beauty of our film club is that anyone can join in. All you have to do is watch along with the film at home and then come and join us every Thursday to hear what we thought of the film. This week's film has been chosen by Jack and Ben and it is No Country for Old Men. But before we get into talking about the film, as always, it's the second week of series four... What have you been up to? Well, I think we need to, one, your new studio, Colson. The sound's really good. <laughs> Do you like it? Do you know what? I think that's the best Zoom sound we've had from you. It's good. I don't know. It's the difference. Oh. Give us the reason why you are in a different place. That's the link, Jack. That's how oh, it works, right, yeah. you see? Why are, why are you in a different place, Coles? So I'm in a hotel. I'm in, I'm in London. I'm in a hotel. But before I tell you why I'm here, let me tell you about my morning... So I wake up this morning at 6am and I go for a shower and the shower doesn't turn on. And I think, well, I'll just give it a little while because it might be that no one's stayed in the hotel room for ages because hotels have been empty. So the shower doesn't turn on. I go down to the little reception in my pyjamas and say, my shower won't turn on. As I'm going back up after they've said, oh, they're going to send someone up to look at it. The man in reception says, oh, hi, Colson, I'm your Addison Lee driver. (laughs) So I'm like, brilliant. So I have to get in a shower that doesn't work. And now, every half an hour, the man keeps coming around to fix the shower. And I've said to him, right, between half past two and four o'clock, you can't come in because I've I've got a podcast to record. The sound's got to be perfect. So if someone knocks on the door and you start hearing some noises from the bathroom... That's what's going on. So no water at all? No water at all. So what did you do? Just do the flannel under the arm? No, I'll tell you what I did. So the Steve Martin. <laughs> it's quick, I'll do my underarms and maybe my little privates and then I'm ready. It's like a shower head with a wire to it, yeah? Yeah. Mm. And the water spurts out before it gets to the shower head. <laughs> so I worked out that if I held the pipe into the shower head really oh, wow. tight... And just held it above me, I could get a little bit coming out. So that was how successful my morning shower was. Um, but yeah, disaster. And I like, I'm I'm what? I'm three showers a day, aren't I, Ben? At least. Uh, three showers and a bath a day. The water bills through the roof. <laughs> um, but why are you there, Coulson? So I'm here. The day we're recording this is the day that I have released the trailer of my documentary, um, Bored of Being the Fat Kid. So this morning I was on the... This morning, Sofa, mentioned the podcast. Yeah, we got a plug, didn't we? Ben's not seen it. I haven't seen it. I've been driving. It's really good. They showed pictures of us three. Hello. Talked about us. Yeah, it was good. Well done, Coles. When you text me, Jack, saying, well done, were you referring to the interview (laughs) or just the fact that I I plugged you? (laughs) Well done on making the film. Well done. No. (laughs) Where everybody likes a mention, don't they? And how do you feel about it all? Yeah, all cool. Like, I've just been sat trying to avoid sitting on my phone, really, for the rest of the day. But yeah, the trailer's out there for the world to see. There's quite a lot of stuff going around in the paper. Lots of mentions for you, Ben. My second father. How awkward. <laughs> Does your real father know? <laughs> <laughs> well done, kid. Not easy talking about yourself. No. No, 
I, that's what I found. So um, obviously it's very different because we're so well polished and so well trained at being actors and talking about our characters and getting into work mode. Like it's easy. You 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 just we're just good at it, aren't we? It's yeah. <laughs> it's what we do. Whereas the flip side of when you're asked questions about yourself and you're having to genuinely think about your answers. Mm. And it's a very personal subject to you as well. It's not just like, oh, tell us about you climbing that mountain. It's like, it's a very serious subject for you. Yeah. But um, but no, it, it's exciting times. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes from it. And I think by the time this episode comes out, the full film will be out. So, um, yeah, so it's exciting. So I think... Obviously, few million views, leave the podcast and never see you again. That's the plan. <laughs> Jack, what have you been up to? Uh, well, we also, course, we went to go watch Leeds, didn't we? We did. It's been, it's been quite the eventful 24 hours for me, really. It has. We went to the, the last game of the Premier League. They were letting fans in. So, me and Coles... Being ambassadors of Leeds United, we got uh, we got asked to go, asked to go along. You make it sound like it's Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> um, but, ah, the ambassadors of Leeds. Hello. Um, yeah. uh, but is it one seat, no one, then you? Do you have to, is it all gaps? It holds like 33,000 people. Yeah. Or, or 37, last time I checked. Oh, here we go. A, li- a fan off. The fan off. A fan Do you know off. what, actually, me, me, me and Jack, are in like this um, fan competition of a game of who wants to be a millionaire and me and Jack are on the same team and I'm so, so worried that one, we're going to fall out and two, we're going to come last. Oh, we'll get annihilated. Is that on telly or is that just a private thing? It's, um, there's a like Leeds fan that um, has quite a good YouTube channel um, called LUFC Lewis and he basically does these challenges and this is his end of season like celebrity who wants to be a millionaire hello who's your phone a friend his dad not bad not bad at all smart lad um so you went to the last game so you were just telling me it's there's a few how many ten thousand then eight thousand in eight thousand yeah Yeah. so yeah so someone can sit in a seat and then just you know like if you go to cinema you're not going to go in an an open cinema and sort of sit next to the first i do i like that (laughs) completely empty and you sit next to the person in the middle sorry (laughs) sorry can you move your coat what it's fucking empty i know it's one of you next to you it was me me jack and my friend jermaine who used to play for Leeds. so we sat together had a catch-up masks on watching the mighty Leeds United beat West Brom. And what, do they still play that really weird kind of um, canned sound? I don't think they do it in the stadium, do they? No, they stopped that after the first game. So after the first game, they had they had fake atmosphere and then they stopped it because the players found it distracting. So it's only on the TV. I see, I see, I see. Do you know what? Actually, it was loud. Oh, was yeah, it? it? It sounded full. The 8,500 that have been lucky enough to get there through like the ballots, well, they're diehard Leeds fans, so they're all the singers. Uh, they're the special... They're the singing they're branch the ones of who Leeds. know all the songs. They know all the songs. They know the numbers. Yeah. Five, yeah. six, seven, eight. Hit it. <laughs> yeah. Come on, yeah. lads! We're 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 numbers down now. We're twenty odd thousand down. <laughs> yeah. So, just very briefly, actually, I just thought about this in my series, Ben's Animal Encounters, <laughs> uh, which I seem to—I I never had any animal encounters before this podcast, and now I have one a week. So, I take the <laughs> dog to Star for a walk, and I take Star's mate Jake for a walk. Jake's he's not Star's a bit more in the country knows what it's doing Jake's a bit more oh, I'm not quite sure actually ditched ditched Jelly off now I don't know if yeah, Jelly, jelly, got. jelly got stuck down that mountain she went Jelly can't hack this I need <laughs> I need Jake now Jake's not great he's he's a bit all over the place but look those two are out so anyway we come to this bit and it's like you look over the hills and it's nice and everyone stands there and it's like like a viewing thing. Do you know what I mean? You look over the rolling hills and everyone stands and there's a map and it tells you where it is. So we're walking up this hill and I see Star go into this viewing platform, come straight back out and look at me and look at me. If dogs could talk, look at me like, what's going on? And then I hear Jake, full on bark. Star's off. 
I'm thinking, oh, God, this could be a bit stressful. What's going on? I turn around the corner. There's a husky in a pushchair. Like, stars looking at me going, Dad, there's a, there's a dog in a pushchair. What do we do? There's a, someone has put a husky. You know, I think they're a husky. They're the big, like, you know, those people have those big dogs. Yeah. That pull yeah. sleds. It's in a, yeah. it's in a pushchair. Being pushed. Being pushed. Looking at the view. <laughs> well, my head went. My head went off. My, my head had got Jake. Jake. Poor Jake's like, this isn't right. So he's obviously just going. Just sat there, just barking at this pushchair. Fully grown husky. Jack. Fully grown husky in this, like, enormous type pushchair type thing. And I'm like, one, my head's gone. Where'd you get a push there for a husky? I mean, what do you do? Go down to John Lewis and go, ooh, it's a big baby. It's a husky. <laughs> I'm like, and then Star, it was too much for that dog. She was like, this isn't right. My mate went, my mate turned the corner and just went, oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> like, just to know. And then she's going, oh, hello, look at your dogs. Aren't they nice? What, the woman who had the husky in a pram? I didn't say anything. Elephant in the room didn't say anything. I'll inquire by next week's episode as to whether that's a, a thing, like like a wheelchair for dogs. Dude, I forgot your sister's a vet. It m- might be a thing. It spun those two dogs out. So that was my animal encounter this week. That's good. It's good. It's a good animal encounter. Who knew? Shall we, um, shall we do what we're here to talk about? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Who's giving the synopsis? I'll have a go. So, no country for old men follows Llewellyn Moss, played by Josh Brolin. He's the the lead character, I would say. Um, He stumbles across, quite early on in the film, across um, a drug deal gone wrong, so it seems. Everybody's dead, and he finds two million in cash. So he decides to take the money and run. However, there's um, what seems to be a psychopathic, psychopathic hitman. Psychopathic? Psychopathic. Hitman. Psychopathic uh, sounds interesting. Okay. <laughs> he's he's on the hunt for the money and for anybody who's in connection with the money, basically, just to kill him. Uh, so he's after Llewellyn, basically. There's also a sheriff played by Tommy Lee Jones. He's sort of two steps behind everything and he's sort of after what's gone wrong with the cartel, finds out Llewellyn has got the money, he's trying to get Llewellyn just so that he's safe. That's sort of it. They're all sort of like mixed up in this money and this drug deal. Can Llewellyn get away with the money or is this hitman going to kill him? That's basically it. Set in 1980. I'm going to hit you with something straight away. Go on. How I watch this film, which is always an interesting one on the podcast. So we have to watch the film to be able to do the podcast. Now, I've had a busy weekend, busy start to the week. So yesterday, I watched this film on my laptop in the back of an Addison Lee, headphones on. An Addison Lee is what for people? Like a, a, a taxi, basically, yeah. in the back of a taxi on the way to London, screaming, <laughs> like head spinning. Why? Because because of the motion sickness, watching like oh, a screen, proper travel sick. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. And that first bit where. He sticks the... So, like, I'd, I'd had the chat with the old driver and he was like, yeah, three and a half hours, bloody blah, blah. And I was like, so, and I said, I'm going to put my headphones on. I'm not being rude. I'm just doing this, bloody blah, blah. And he was like, okay. First bit where he puts the air compressor to his head and goes, boof. I was like, fucking hell. Jesus. Yeah. The scene in the police station where he... Yeah. Gory. Mm. Gory start to a film, that. Where'd you watch it, Ben? Or did you watch it? I know you've seen it before. Yeah, I saw it last night, just me on my own. It's not It's not quite a kid's film, I don't think. No, I did think about letting the kids watch it, but I think it's too... It is too much. What's the rating? I think it's 18. I'll tell you what normally defines the violence is that bit where that premeditated nature of that lead character, the Javier Bardem's character, the premeditated nature of how he kills... Yeah, he kills indiscriminately. He kills on a coin flip. So you, you're right, Colson. You open up. Well, you open up, and interestingly, on that monologue, don't you? And it just shows you scenes of the West 
and that sheriff talking about in the old days they didn't used to carry guns and I suppose that's the theme of the film is it's no country for old men the old way of doing things is not going to work we're in a new place in the 80s guns and violence he's been arrested hasn't he Javier Bardem's character and he's put in the back of a police car Anton Sugar is called good name weird name yeah um and then he gets taken to the police station and what a great shot you have the policeman at the front don't you and then behind him is at sort of out of focus mm. and you see him step through his handcuffs he's, he's on the phone isn't he the policeman yeah and then there's that line of don't you worry he'll be here when you get here i've got everything under control phone down buff and i suppose what sticks out is one his face when he's doing it, which is really quite man, like a maniac, like he's enjoying it. Yeah, it's like yeah. Then I thought was which was brilliant with the foot marks from the policeman's boots. Yeah, the struggle. Yeah, and I think that's what sets these directors apart. What they pick up on. Yeah, the blood because there's blood, and I'm like, why is there blood? And then you realise the blood's from Sugar's hands. So like from him to from him to kill him, he's like cut his own wrists in pulling the handcuffs that tight to his neck you realise straight away that he's a wrong one, basically don't you <laughs> <laughs> no flies on you no flies on you what were you up to today well I tried to strangle someone with handcuffs Ooh, I think you were a bit bad yeah straight away I think it was his face it was like weird what else has he been in because he's got Tons. a look of a psycho. He was a baddie in a Bond, wasn't he? But he was a big Spanish movie actor. He wasn't known for playing English roles, I don't think, before this film. Because his English was quite bad. As what he would say, his English was quite bad. So he wasn't up for playing this role before uh, the Coen brothers approached him to do it. And he said, well, my English is quite broken. Um, I don't, and I don't really like violence. What? year was this film by the way because it looks mint uh 2007 but the guy who's the dop is roger deakins and he's the most oscar nominated dop in the world so tell me tell me about the coen brothers then because i don't have we covered them on the podcast before no first coen brothers film so they saw their their famous films um fargo uh no country for old men um, what else have they done? Burn After Reading, Hail Caesar. Um, oh, brother, where are they? Their big ones are Fargo and I would say their their biggest two most successful are Fargo and this one. They, they write as well, do they? They write, they produce, they direct, they edit. And they are brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know whether it's this film or one of their early films, they make storyboards for every shot and... They keep exactly to the storyboard. A bit like Jack doing the Love Actually dance. Yeah, but I, I was copying a storyboard. It's a, but sometimes people use a storyboard and kind of just go, look, this is the basis of what I'm trying to get. If we get some extra shots, I might put... But they edit it. They edit exactly to the storyboard. So they basically draw the film. They draw they film the film it. shot for shot. And what it means is they said that one of, when they were starting, money was a big constraint and they knew they could shoot just the right amount of film every time and have exactly what they needed and keep the shooting time down. So that's what cost them money and that's how they get the film made. But yeah, they're very, the shots are kind of quite iconic, the way they lens everything up and it looks, it does look beautiful, Colson. It does. So, talk to me about when we meet this second character. Llewellyn. What's he shooting there? Deer. Deer, yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 set in, like, Texas, isn't it? This yeah. Thing? It's in the middle of the middle of nowhere, isn't it, basically? He's got this gun, and then he shoots the deer, but sort of hits it on the side, doesn't he? And it runs off. So he goes to track it. He goes after it to sort of put it out of its misery, doesn't he? And then he follows the blood, but then there's two blood trails. And one of them is a little dog. A little Rottweiler, I think, or something like that. Yeah. And it's been shot. Or it's you lost the use of its legs. He thinks, oh, that's a bit strange. 
but he keeps going on to find this deer, comes over a hill, and it's a full-on demolition derby, isn't it? Everyone's dead. Yeah. I just thought, what what a thing to find in the middle of nowhere. It's like four cars, and there's Uzis, there's MSGs, there's assault rifles, and I'd be thinking, what the hell has gone on here? And he goes down, doesn't he, and he has to look round the cars, mm. and there's no one alive. Oh, no, there is. There's one guy. On the back of one of the trucks, see, there's a f- full trailer of cocaine, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. And in that truck, there's a guy alive who's asking for water. And Agua. He's like, Agua. It's when, when he says, where's the last man standing? And he's like, uh, and he's like, there has to be a last man standing. And I quite liked that bit where he kind of stopped to himself and he went, right. So if I was the last man standing, where would I go? I'd go for shade. I'd go for shade, but I'd move quickly and I wouldn't, I'd look behind me. And he went, so he picked the first tree that was in front of them, not behind them, and saw the guy there. And sat there is a dead man with a briefcase with $2 million in it. Yeah, which is the same briefcase used in Fargo. Did you know that? Oh, nice start. It's the exact same briefcase the Coen brothers used. So he gets the money, nicks it, goes back to his trailer, hides it. Now, this is the bit... That jars with you, isn't it? Why the fuck would you go back... He goes back to save the Agraman, doesn't he? But you're thinking, he's dead. He's dead. I thought he got greedy. I thought he'd gone two million quid and the cocaine. I thought he'd gone back for the coke. But when he's filling the water up, I'm like, oh, he's going to go and save him. But what's the point in saving him when you've just robbed two million pounds? I'd have thought it'd have been better if he left something there, like his wallet, if his wallet had fallen out. In... Ah, I'm just going to take this two million pounds, but I'll leave my driving license. Yeah, I thought, that, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I thought I could have, I could have, I could have believed it a bit more if there was a, a better reason he was going back for. Do you think they were setting up there that he is intrinsically good and yeah. the baddie is intrinsically bad yeah i think so but i wouldn't have gone back i wouldn't have gone back especially i mean it's it's the early hours of the morning i'm I'm, it's good it's got to be something like four in the morning that he decides to go back so that's like i'm guessing a full 12 hours and you're thinking to yourself surely someone's coming back for the drugs yeah surely i don't want to meet them because they've killed everyone else and when he get as he's walking in he can see that the trailer of drugs is empty can't he yeah. Because the Mexicans have taken the drugs back. So he knows that something bad is about... Oh, no, no, he hasn't then, has he? Isn't it the policeman who notices the drugs are missing? Yeah, that's... Doesn't he us. go down, and as he's about to do agua, they turn up and burst his tyres? I thought there was a shot where you saw the trailer and it, it showed that there weren't any drugs. Is what I... Because that's... I, I just... I couldn't understand why he went back. He went back to give him some water. That's it. Yeah. Well, anyway, he gets caught by more Mexicans, doesn't he? Who obviously aren't very happy. And he sees him in the distance. They slash his tyre and then they fully chase him. But he looks up and the car approaches. They get out and they slash his tyres. So he's thinking, fuck, what am I going to do? And then they've got that massive spotlight that they put on their car to then come and find him. Because they know there's someone out there if this truck's pulled up. And that's when they come after him with the gun, don't they? And he has to run. He has to bolt to run to run off for the edge of the cliff to the river below. And then it's that weird bit of he survived the car chase, and as he's in the river, there's just a dog gaining and gaining speed on him. Dogs aren't great swimmers, aren't they? Doing its little bit, going after, and then as soon as the dog gets out the water, it's like, right, I'm going to chew your face off, and he shoots it. A month before filming, Josh Brolin actually came off his motorbike and broke his shoulder. And as he was flying through the air off of his motorbike, the thought that went through his head is, fuck, I was really looking forward to working with the Coen brothers. Guess I won't be now, because he was going to throw his shoulder out. Smashed his shoulder. And that's when they came up with the idea that they'll, um, they'll shoot his shoulder at the beginning of the film. So if he does have a problem with his shoulder, they could say it's the um, it's the gunshot wound that he gets at the beginning. He's very good in it, isn't he? Brolin, yeah. He's very yeah. good in it because he's sort of like, you find out later he is, has been a Marine. So he has got 
you know, he knows what he's doing with guns and tracking and all that kind of stuff. Mm. I did like him in it. And then he goes back to his trailer. Kelly McDonald's in it. Yep. Is that his girlfriend? Yep. That's her from Train Spotting Colts, you know, who plays Diane in Train Spotting. The girl. Good accent. Very good. She's very good, isn't she? She hasn't got a clue what's going on, though, has she, with the $2 million under trailer? Well, he makes sure she doesn't have a clue what's going on, doesn't he? Yeah. He makes sure she doesn't know. Doesn't do her any good for later in the film, I guess. Oh, well, you don't have to ruin it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, by the way, Ben... You've not seen it, but on this morning... Oh, this was piss funny, Ben. (laughs) This was piss funny. Today is the 30th anniversary of Thelma and Louise. Um, And before we go, like, before we go on the thing, um, Phil says to me in the corridor, because we might might talk about the podcast if we get a chance. He went, Thelma and Louise, 30th anniversary. We were going to come in in a car today. Great film. Have you seen it? And I went, no. But I think Jack and Ben have talked about picking it. So I didn't think he'd mention it because I said I hadn't seen it. Then on the episode, he says... You've not seen it. And I go, no, no, but I know I know that they jump over the canyon in a car. And he was like, you've just completely ruined the entire thing for, for anyone who wanted to watch it. It was good. It was funny. And the interview now. You've ruined it. We did pick it, I think, for a, a, a viewer's choice, but it didn't and get none through. none of them picked it. None of them picked, no one picked it. it. All I know, the bit about jumping over the canyon is because Ben said that we're going to go to... Las Vegas and jump over the Grand Canyon. (laughs) The Sofa Cinema Club tour. That's something to look forward to. We tried it once. It didn't work. What happened after that? It wasn't great. We we landed. It wasn't great. It wasn't great. We didn't film anymore. Now, is the baddie after Josh Brolin at this point? No. As soon as he goes back to the trailer. Yeah. And the truck's been gone. He says, we're going to have some trouble in the morning. Ah, yes. Yes. He basically says, you're going here, I'm going here. And he he heads to Del Rio, Del Rio, doesn't he? Yeah. Then that's when we kind of start to see more of the brutality of the baddie. Because he goes to assess the shootout scene, doesn't he? With those two suits. Yeah. And they basically say, oh, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. He kills them. Yeah. And there's that bit where he goes, there's no money, there's no drugs. And he goes, yeah, thanks, bang, bang. And just, like, they're obviously on his side to a certain degree, aren't they? They're, yeah, they're on his side, but he sort of thinks, if I just get rid of you, I don't need you guys, and I can get the money for myself. I mean, yeah, but what a way to live your life. Ooh, yeah. be stressful, wouldn't it? Can we talk about his weapon of choice? Brilliant, isn't it? He's got two weapons, hasn't he? But they're all, like, souped up, aren't they? Yeah, well, he's got that thing that you would expect to find something how you would put down a cow yeah. or a sheep, yeah. wouldn't you? Do you know what I mean? Just fires a nail out, doesn't it? Well, and then it goes back in. No, it's just compressed air. No, there's a nail in it. No, because they don't find anything in no, the skull, do the they? nail goes back. That's how it kills you. It goes out and in. Ba-bam. Uh, so that's why it kills that guy when he puts it to his forehead it's not a net. It's like a plunger. It goes out under the air, baff, and then bat, and then you're done. You know when we watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre and they talk about killing the cows. Yeah, is that what they talk about killing the cows? Exactly. With? Yeah. They kill them yeah. with chainsaws in that film, though. Don't yeah, they? <laughs> yeah. So it's actually it, it's like a, the air under pressure. That's what fires out, but then it goes back in. So it's it's basically unlimited. As long as you've got air, you keep going. It's a great sound, isn't it? But it's brilliant because the person has no idea what you're doing. It's like he does with... He goes, I just need you to step out the car when he's he's trying to trade... The the old COVID, check your temperature. Yeah, check your temperature. And he's like, what's that? (laughs) He's like, just hold still, hold still, hold still. Bang. Thank you. Yeah. But we see very early on, don't we, that he's... Like I say, he's a wrong and sort of thing. And we continue to see that. And he's fully on the chase now. So like Jack said in the synopsis... Um, the chase is kind of at the start. It's three people, isn't it? So you've got the man with the money on the run. You've got the Mexicans. You've got the baddie with his air compression, and then you've got the cops. For me, I didn't really understand the cops' role in it whatsoever. I was thinking of that. It's. I think this is why I've struggled with the end as well because I got that the cops were always two steps behind, and I get that why they were showing that. Mm. The story that I was interested in is, is he going to catch him with the money? And then when Woody Harrelson comes into it, 
I was like, ah, so this is this is where they make a deal bloody bad. And then he just gets shot, and it's like, oh, <laughs> it's all gone off. It's a bit flat that bit in the film for me. Whenever sort of Tommy Lee Jones is on in his scenes, he does seem to be talking about a past or what he would do, what his granddad would do, what his dad would do. Would you want me to say a bit boring? It's just yeah, it's a bit flat. But I think that's the point. If that film doesn't have Tommy Lee Jones, you just have scene after scene of that guy going around killing people, which is a different film. And I think what they're trying to say is slow and steady wins the race. So Tommy Lee Jones doesn't get his gun out till the very end, works everything out. He looks at a little mark on the door and goes, oh, he's blowing it out. How's he blowing that out? He looks at the milk and he says, oh, he's only just got the milk out the fridge. It's old school cop. He uses clues. But also what he's doing all the way through the film is talking about the nature of chance and the nature of violence. Mm. And that this guy is pure violence. And that upsets him because something's changed in the world. And then he meets the other cop and they talk about it, don't they? So I understand what you're saying, but I do think the movie requires him. He's underwritten. He should be in it more almost so you get more of an idea that he's getting close to solving Because at the end, yeah, well, we'll get to the end. But, but he's right on the heels of it. He's right on the heels of it. And everyone else is doing, you know, oh, my God, they'll never find him. And and he's just slow and steady. He will find you. Mm. So the way the baddie kind of catches up with the money is he's got this little, like, tracking device, hasn't he, basically? And it is a game of... Where can I hide this money? Where can I hide? How long do I have to hide for, you know, until I'm safe? And he catches on that he must have something in the money to realise where he is because he follows him to the first motel. And then he shoots the guys who also have a tracker. He checked out of his hotel room, didn't he? He put the money in a vent on a hotel room and then checked into a hotel room like three doors down to hook the money around. And the hotel room where the money was in the vent... He just walked in and shot all three of them, but couldn't find the money. But what's so weird, what's so clever, is like, he takes his shoes off. Yeah, I loved how he prepared to kill them. He walks in his own room, and he knows it's going to be a mirror image of that room. Yes. So he works out where they would hide. He tests the width, doesn't he, of, of, the, of the walls. And do you notice he came in, switched the lights off, then comes back in quick yeah. to think, oh, where would I go? Yeah. Very good. He's got, like... A shotgun with a bit of an air compressor in it. No, it's a silencer. So normally a shotgun loads, but his just goes, Poof, and he <laughs> shot everyone. I mean, you shoot someone and they go all over the place. Yeah. Awful, awful. He's, he's got right old guns, hasn't he? Yeah. And then he shoots everyone. He shoots everyone in that room. And then he's annoyed because his socks have got wet with blood. So he takes those off and throws them away. But none of the, oh, I'll wear some gloves, I'll be a bit careful. It's just bang, bang. The guy in the shower as well. I know. That shot in the mirror where you see his hand and he just goes, bang, bang. <laughs> so this, that you know, him hunting him down in Del Rio makes him realise that there must be a way that he can track the money. So he goes through it and finds this tracking device. Yeah. But as he finds this tracking device, he realises that he's outside. Okay, so now this is the this is another bit for me. What? I've got two guns. I've got a gun and another thing, and I my job day to day is hunting people down. You find a tracker, wouldn't you check it out the window? He can't act that fast, can he? Because as soon as he finds the tracker, he's in the frigging hotel. Do you think I'd still give it a chuck? He puts it on the table and wait. And would you sit on the bed? So hold on. He puts the tracker. Would Yeah, would you sit where he could shoot you <laughs> straight you? away? You'd hide. Well, you'd hide. But hang on, hang on. He doesn't know, right, that he's got a compressor that can shoot that bolt through the doorknob yeah but he does know he's got a gun could shoot through that door right okay i'll give you that but he only heard shooting didn't he in the room next door he's no idea who this guy is who's chasing him no idea right so he's not seen anything that we've seen and he thinks ha smart ass thinks he's tracking me i'm sat behind the door with a shotgun 
So as soon as he tries to open the door, I'll blow him away. But wouldn't you? If you, right, I'm coming along and I'm playing hide and seek, like me and Colson do in the flat. I'm playing hide and seek. <laughs> I'm, coming, I'm coming to get you. You'd hide behind the bed a bit, wouldn't you? But it does, it does kind of show that, doesn't it? Because he tries to get up, doesn't uh, he, to get his bag. And he realises he's making far too much frigging noise. So he has to just sit back down where he was and just point the gun. He rings downstairs, doesn't he, for the guy. And he no, there's no answer. I love that, though, about the film. How he only has to ring downstairs, there's no answer. So that tells him he's dead. We don't need to know, but we know he's dead. Yeah, good point. Now, the other questions of what would you do in this situation? So, like Ben says, he knows he's going to have to jump out the window. He jumps out the window. If it was Ben, Ben probably would have had a five-second head start because Ben's saying, I'm there already. (laughs) Would you go straight back into the hotel? That made me think he's an army guy. Yeah. He knows he can't outrun the gun, so he goes back in, thinking he might come down the stairs, shoot him. Yeah. That's what he's, he's waiting for him to come down, isn't he? You'd break your ankles, though, wouldn't you, in those cowboy boots? Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't you break your ankle jumping out of a two-storey window? I know. He lands it. I'm thinking, ooh, 3.4 on the landing there, kid. And then he, he kind of hobbles away. And then the baddie shoots him again. Well, he shoots him right out the window, doesn't he? Yeah. But he gets the shot off in the hotel room. He's gone out the window, runs round. Where does Bardem come from then? I can't remember. I like this bit. This was a bit I liked. He gets in a car with a gun and a briefcase and he goes, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. Just drive. And the guy goes, okay. And then the next thing, he's shot in the back of the head. <laughs> it was terrible, wasn't it? Yeah. Bit of a shock the first time I saw that. He's being shot. He's being shot. The guy's running behind him with a gun and he decides, I'm going to fake a car crash. So he crashes the van, gets out and hides. But he goes to the opposite side yeah, of the road, doesn't yeah. he? So when Bardem comes round the corner, he'll think, I'm expecting him to go to the van where I can have the, the upper hand. I tell you what, quite tense, the old shootout hide-and-seek, isn't it? It's technical. Ooh, you'd be stressed. And the one, <laughs> the one thing you always forget about is the trail of blood that you leave. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't see that. I'm colourblind. <laughs> so already I'm at a disadvantage. Red on concrete, I've got no chance. <laughs> and then... Next, do we end up in Mexico? They both get shot, basically. Yeah, and then Brolin thinks, oh, I can't be asked to get him. I'm going to walk from across the border, shot, and get rid of this bag. For some reason, get into Mexico. For some reason, he thinks Mexico's a good idea. It's like he doesn't think he can follow him to Mexico. Yeah, maybe it's that. Maybe he thinks he's going to get stopped. He's just obviously following the road, isn't he? He's just driving down the road to get away, get away. Then he comes up to the border, I think, and he's like, fuck, what do I do now? I obviously can't take the money through. I can't go back that way. I've got a COVID test. I can go through. So he chucks the money over the um, over the side. And then uh, I love that bit with the Mexican band. The mariachi band. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. When they're singing away da, da, with the guitars, the little ukulele, and then they t- he, he turns off with all the blood, and then give, gives gives him a $100 bill, and he's like, go away. Then we have the funny bit Woody Harson is another hired killer. But why is he being hired? To kill Sugar. Because he's leaving a, a trail of bodies and carcasses all over frigging Texas. So they're like, we need to put an end to this because he's he's leaving too many bodies. Okay. And the police are on to him, which means they're going to come knocking at that guy's door. Oh, I see. So he puts Harrelson on to take out Sugar. Odd part, though. I liked it. Comes in, one scene, loads of dialogue. Next scene, gets shot. But stays in the hotel where the guy had been shot last. The receptionist was shot. Wait, he just... But, but he says that. It says that in the film, doesn't it? It says that in the film. He says, Bardem always goes back to the scene of the crime and he's got no problems with doing so. Uh, so he knows if he's probably going to find him, he's got to go to where he, he was last killing people. Oh, I see. Uh, that was very well shot, wasn't it? There's a moment where Xavier Bardem's character's facing Woody Harson. He comes up the stairs, doesn't he? Comes up the stairs yeah, behind him. and they're having that chat. And then you think... Oh, he's not going to shoot him. And the phone goes. And he shoots him. 
I'm like, oh, God, this guy. I think he shot him because he doesn't need him anymore. He doesn't need any more information because the information he needs is on the phone. Yeah, see. He's used him as much as what he needs him for. So get rid of him. And now I'll answer the phone and you can tell me where you are. What was Woody Harrelson's end result? Was it to kill him and go halves on the money? I think it was get rid of Bardem and take that money back to the other guy. Yeah, and he was like, I'll give you 100 grand or whatever. Yeah, and then he was like, oh, I'll take you to an ATM. And you're thinking, but he's got a loony. Shoots him. and then, But he's quite badly shot up, isn't he, Bardem's character? They all are now. Yeah. Well, Harrelson's dead. They're all stitched up, basically. So where are you on your car journey at the moment? You're still feeling a bit sick, Coulson? When we stopped at the M6 tall, I paused it, took my headphones off, stretched. Then then I was back in. But I reckon we're probably at Coventry at this sort of part in the film, I reckon. So we're getting towards the end, aren't we? What happens next? They have that phone call conversation where they weigh each other up, don't they? So Bardem speaks to Brolin. And did you notice how it was shot? Or back of head. Front on Bardem, back of head for Llewellyn. Yeah. So he has to get back into the United States, isn't he, from Mexico, which is where you realise that he actually has got a little bit of experience with him because that's when he kind of has a question of why are you entering the United States and the immigration man is very much like, you're covered in blood, you look fucked, you've got no clothes on, what's going on? And he said, are you a vet? And he was like, yeah, I did two in Nam." So he lets him in. And then odd scene where he goes back to the clothes shop in the cowboy boots that he bought (laughs) a few days before with no other clothes. I love how the guy just doesn't ask any questions, though. Doesn't seem bothered, does he? How are those boots holding up? (laughs) (laughs) He goes, great, I need everything else. (laughs) The scene after that where he says, I need everything else. He just walks out of a green bush. Comes from nowhere. He's got the money, hasn't he, that he's thrown over. Ah, that's where the money was. So he's got the money. He rings Kelly MacDonald up and says, right, get your mum, get you. I'm going to finish this once and for all. I'll meet you in... Where do they go? Odessa. Odessa. And then it's a race to the end, isn't it, really, then? And that other scene that we've not talked about, which I think is what he must have won the Oscar for, the car garage scene. Yeah, when he's filling up. When he's filling up. That's the best scene. Yeah, yeah, best scene. That is a good scene, isn't it? On a flip of a coin. That was a scene that when it was out, I was like, how many times do you think this has been printed out and handed to actors? Because it's a perfect two-hander, isn't it? Kind of both really well written. The car garage man. What time do you shut around now? Yeah, and he goes, now, now isn't the time. He's obsessed with logic, isn't he? Yeah. When people are frightened, he's obsessed with keeping your logic, but you're frightened. That was the interesting thing about Woody Harson. He was frightened. Yeah. He's good at scaring people. He's a good baddie. He looks great. Flares, tight jacket, hair, hair. I like the look. I wouldn't see many killers just walking down with John Travolta. No. He looks like a small version of... Um, Jaws from Happy Gilmore. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. I know what you mean. Yeah, he does. He does exactly. Yeah. What we can link to in this podcast is unreal. <laughs> Happy Gilmore from No Country to Old Men. So now we're nearly at the end, aren't we? We're at the end and everyone's involved. So we've got the police. We've got the girlfriend. We've got the money. We've got the baddie. Well, we've even got the Mexicans. The Mexicans have found out where they all are and have gone to shoot everyone. They all know it's a bit of a race against the clock of who's going to get there first. And we actually don't see it, do we? We don't see Llewellyn die. No. That's what I, that's what I love about the film. We always seem behind ourselves. Yeah. In the beginning, we don't know what Javier Bardem has been arrested for. We haven't seen that. He's just been arrested and brought into the police station. We don't see the drug deal go wrong. We just see a load of dead bodies. We don't see how the hero of the film even ends up dead. Yeah. The last time we saw him is he's got his clothes, his wounds are fine, he's back on track, he's got the money. Next scene, he's dead. It's almost a question as well of we don't really follow the Mexicans. So we never know what's where, where they are in terms of what stage they're at. And they're the ones who get him and kill him and clearly get the money. But they're all dead by the time we turn up because we turn up with Tommy Lee Jones don't we yeah but the Mexicans drive off don't they because there's that shot of them pulling in and the Mexicans on the back of the truck going go 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 
Vamos, 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 I think it is, isn't it? Yeah. I think vamos, but you've got very good Mexican, Jay. Very good Spanish. Um, yeah, they go. There's, there is one of the baddies is dead and our man is dead, isn't he? Yeah. And the mother's dead. The mother-in-law's dead. We don't see that, do we? We don't see that, but she's definitely dead because then Kelly McDonough goes to the funeral. Because I assumed the funeral was his funeral, but she said, I've just buried my mother. And have the Mexicans done that? Because the Mexicans try and help her with a suitcase in the car, haven't they? Ah, yes. The Mexicans just killed everyone. And then Tommy Lee Jones has a coffee with that cop. And this brings us back to that thing where both cops are talking about how different it is now in the modern age. You know, some kids have got green hair now and, and it's all changed and they're the old school. And Tommy Lee Lo- Jones thinks there's something going on with him. So he goes back to the crime scene. Mm. And this is my favourite scene. Is He goes back to the crime scene and he goes up to the door and the door's being blown out as our baddie does blow it out with that machine. And he thinks he's in here. I really like that because I thought, I don't want Tommy Lee Jones to die. But he's gone in the wrong room, hasn't he? Well, he's actually he's gone in he's gone in the right room. There's two ways of looking at it, isn't there? He could have gone in the other room, which is where Bardem is. And judging by Bardem's stance and the way he's holding the gun, it wouldn't have ended well for Tommy Lee Jones. But luckily, he's gone in the um, opposite room. So then I'm thinking, oh well, that's it. No, he goes to kill her, doesn't he? He has to kill her. He has to live out his end of the deal. Yeah. Which is why she's stunned and she's like, why Why do you need to kill me? And he's like, well, I promised your husband. But it's all a bit skewed logic. You don't have to do it. Well, I kind of do. It messes with his head that she refused to pick heads or tails because he either kills her or he doesn't and she won't, she won't pick her way. And he's like, well, why not? You have to pick. I either kill you or I don't, but you have to pick. Obviously, he just thinks, oh, well, I'll kill you anyway. So he does. And gets in a car, drives, takes his eye off the ball there, looks at the kids Well, in the he mirror. doesn't because he's on a green light. He's yeah. actually not in the wrong, which is what I loved. I did check that. He's doing everything. <laughs> he couldn't quite see. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things, though, when he's in that car, you knew exactly what was going to happen but I still jumped. You you knew as he was driving, because the way it showed the green light, you went, he's going to get hit, he's going to get hit. Oh, shit, he's just got hit. It was literally like that. It's an old-style 1980s car crash. Bow! No yeah. airbags, glass everywhere, tin can. And the kids come over, love the kids on the bikes. And then he buys their shirt, makes it into a kind of... Sling. Sling, and then that's that's it. I think that would have been a perfect ending. But I think that should have been back. the ending. It cuts back, doesn't it? wasn't asked about the cops then. I didn't like either two-hander with the cops when they were sitting at the end. I know what you mean. I think the ending should have been him walking away with his arm in a sling. And I know what you're saying as well, Ben, about the different time and all that, but this is America and it is Texas and they have had the old West. I don't think he's saying that. I think he's partly saying that, but I think it's a filmmaking device. I think the Coens and the book is saying something. How time moves, how you become redundant, how you become old, how life and death can be chance. Like he talks about chance all the way through. They flip the coin. He talks about that story about the guy goes to kill a cow and the cow bucks and he shoots himself. Mm. There's a lot of chance all the way through that film. And I suppose what the Coens are saying is you go left or you go right. And you can make a decision. Each time in that film, people make a decision which changes the course of their life. Mm, Whether it's the coin toss or whether it's nicking the money or whatever. And I think that's what they're trying to say. That, for me, elevates it beyond just a killing film. Right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll rate it. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Have you two made up after last week as well? Because Jack was not impressed. It was abysmal last week. It was disgusting, actually. It was obnoxious. Obnoxious. What's one of the songs from that? What's one of the songs again, Cole? So remember, remind me. We're all in this. That's Jack's favourite. Yeah, and then what was my favourite? Sovereign. Hey, yeah. Ten. <laughs> so, Jack, you go, you go, you go, go on. No Country Roads Men, what do you think? I, I really do like this film. And I must have seen this film about five, six, seven times, something like that. It does get better and better every single time I see it. The performances are brilliant. I love the screenplay of this film, and it's it's almost what isn't written. Because in those scenes, actually, when you are sort of on the run and you are being shot at, there isn't time for that dialogue and those speeches. I like the way they've edited the film. The unusual cuts, like you said, Ben. And I, I like how the story unfolds that we don't get to see everything. We're behind as much as what Tommy Lee Jones is, his character. And you've explained his role t- to me a bit more, Ben, actually. And um, it's an interesting point uh, that I, I think I like now. Uh, and I can understand it a bit more. That it, is, it isn't just a, um, a gun shooting type film. There is a bit more to it than that. And yeah, I'm going to go... I'm going to go 9.2... Fucking yeah. hell. 9.2? What's the point two business? Because sometimes when I'm rating films, I, I if it's in the na- if it's in the nines, I'll either go nine or it's it's pretty much a hop skip and or a ten. I've not got a lot of films that are, are in the nines category. Do you know what I mean? And I think this is definitely up there and this nine point two needs to separate a lot of the films that are just nine. So I think it, it's it's it gets some extra Bonus points there. Everything about it, I really, really, really enjoy. Ben? I'm going to go 8.5. I knew you'd say that. (laughs) I knew you would. Fuck that. Right. Next time, you get a pen and you fucking write it down. 8.5. All the things Jack said, I would have personally preferred more Tommy Lee. I think The Killing's great, whatever, but it tips too far over for me so that's why I don't go into the nine I liked the Tommy Lee stuff I like the stuff where he's talking about that so 8.5 see this is almost going to be three completely different opinions I think okay um, I'm going to go seven I didn't like Tommy Lee I would have wanted more killing I think if you'd have just made that film almost like seven psychopaths where all it followed was the madman being chased by the madman, being chased by the madman, being chased by the madmen. I think that would have been a good film. more for me than than anything else. I like the fact there was very little dialogue between one man being chased by one man, but when all the other stuff came into it, I I just yeah, it was it it was hard with the the cops and that kind of thing. They never have any scenes together. You notice that? Yeah. Well, that's why it's very little dialogue. 24.7. Take that. Hasn't that topped High School Musical? No, well, High School Musical was... What did Jack get? 4.5, yeah, 24.5. <gasps> oh, 
Is it is it beaten? It's is beaten, it beaten High School Musical. Yeah, because you gave it a fucking nine point two. Oh come on, you two give it twenty. Really? <laughs> no, you, you gave. Did it? Did it? I've been seeing it all week. It's my ringtone. <laughs> Some trivia in this film, though. Do you know what the highest uh, thing was on the budget for the film? No, what? Blood. Because where they were filming it in Texas, with the humidity, if they used normal blood that they use in films, you know, like that syrup, yeah, that sugar syrup sort of um, water-based thing, if they was to use that, it would attract loads of bugs and insects. So because they didn't want that, they had to go up market and kept and splash out on more expensive blood that wouldn't attract creatures, basically, which it cost $500 a gallon for all the blood. So it cost a lot of money, apparently. And they were filming this in, like, the same place that they were filming There Will Be Blood, you know, with Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, yeah. And they had to stop filming for an entire day once because they blew an oil drill thing and the um, pyrotechnics uh, made a massive black cloud of smoke and it stopped their filming. And Josh, last bit of trivia, Josh Brolin auditioned for this. He sent in a self-tape, all right? But while he was on the set filming Grindhouse, you know that film that was sort of directed by Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino? Sort of like the arty horror sort of films. He was filming that at the time and told Tarantino that he had this self-tape to do. So they used the crew and the film camera that they had on Grindhouse. They lit it and Tarantino directed his uh, self-tape and sent that in to the Coen brothers. And when they watched it, they went, oh my God, it's fucking amazing. I love, <laughs> I love, I love how you've directed it. And he was like, yeah, yeah, cheers. Thanks very much. And got the part. Ta- imagine that, Tarantino directed your self-tape. Ooh, it's very good self-tape, isn't it? <laughs> You're only going in for a man with sprained arm, but you've done well. I think we'll give it you. Yeah. Right. Are we ready? To, are we ready to hit the high note? Oh, it's time for Jack's hidden. Jack's, Jack's hidden. Jack's hidden. <laughs> I forgot about this. Have you got one? I have got one actually, and it's a film. Hello. Right. It's on Now TV. Um, and Sky. It's called Antibellum, Antibellium, something like that. It's basically, it's a horror film, thriller, so if you like that, you'll love this. It's set in the 1800s America, um, slave trade. Um, this woman gets captured and put into uh, the slave trade, and she um, and she's held against her will but it's a horror film and it's all about her trying to get out. There's a massive twist in the film. Which we okay? didn't get to. <laughs> which, which they didn't get to because they turned it off before the twist. We got about half an hour in. I looked at Ben and I went, should we put Ted Lasso on? And Ben went, yeah. <laughs> the thing is with a horror film, I always get disappointed when watching the trailer of a horror film because it always shows you the best bits, doesn't it? This trailer... Of this film looks completely different because it gives you the twist in the trailer. So yeah. if you're not, it, it shows you exactly what the twist is in the trailer. So I advise you don't watch the trailer. It's called Antebellum. A N T E B E L L U M. Antebellum. See your Antebellum and your Uncle Chris. But yeah, so don't watch the trailer if if you can. But it's a horror film. It's very, very, very good. And it's a modern... It's very brand new. It's like 2021, 2020. Really good film. Horror film. On Now TV. On Sky. So next week's episode is being picked by you guys. It is the viewer's choice. But because it is a starter series for and we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, it's going to be picked by you guys on Instagram and announced on Instagram. So make sure you keep an eye out on social media to find out what film you need to be watching for next week. Until then, all that's left to say is make sure you join us on Monday. Yes, for the new app For Sofa Cinema Club Extraterrestrial. By the time this is out, we'll be looking at the second episode of Extraterrestrial. So I hope you enjoyed the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Until Monday or Thursday or whenever, we'll see you next week. Good night, God bless. Good night. Good night.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.